If you need a Bible, slip up your hand. We want to get it to you. I really want you to look at this passage. It's absolutely confusing and transforming. Uh, just raise up your hand. We'll get a Bible to you. If you don't have a copy, you can keep this one. And uh, we're going to look at Daniel. So just go to the table of contents, find Daniel, and go to chapter 10. And we're in the tail end of a series. So I want to pray. Look at Daniel 10. And uh, before we read, starting in verse 1, I'm going to pray that God will really wake us up because this is um, in a beautiful and alarming passage. Very alarming if you're new to the Bible or considering what it means to follow Jesus. So uh, that's my little teaser. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we thank you that you've always been working. This is your world. You made it. You own it. It's all yours. And uh, we just confess, even as your people, that we have participated in tearing down the things you're trying to build up. We have sinned. We've rebelled. We've walked away. And in your great love, we've gathered here this morning because we believe that you've done everything to bring us back. Lord, you sent your son, Jesus, so that we could be made whole again and live in the way that you intended from the beginning. So God... Living in this crazy world that we're in right now, we want to figure out what it means to follow you in the middle of hard times and dark places. So Holy Spirit of God, as we read this ancient text, open our eyes to see what it means to follow you in the here and the now, we pray in Jesus' beautiful name. And if you believe that, just say amen. 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 All right, so we're coming to the end of Daniel, and if you've never read it before, the first six chapters are about the lives of Daniel the person and some of his friends uh, who were taken out of their land because God's people had rebelled against him. And so he warned them, sent messages, warned them, look, this isn't the way to live, the life that I want for you. But if you don't listen, I'm going to get you out of the space to open your eyes and see I'm serious about you following me. So Daniel's part of this group that's taken out of their land into Babylon. Maybe he's 13, 14, 15. Now where we're caught up to, he's in his mid-80s. He's lived his entire life in a land that's not his own, in a place that's not his own, with foreign ways of thinking, foreign ways of worship. And we have seen in the first six chapters, he is faithful, not perfect, but faithful to follow his God in a, a culture and a country that's not, which is a telling story to you and me that we actually can. You can live faithful to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter what's going on in our culture today. It doesn't matter how many are turning away from God or the Bible or God's vision for the world and sexuality and business and ethics. It doesn't matter that everyone else isn't listening. You can. Amen. Reading Daniel is an invitation to say, you don't need everyone to follow Jesus in order for you to follow Jesus. Don't follow the crowd. Let the crowd see that there's a better way. Not snubbing it down on people, not looking down on people, but giving them an alternative. Say, you could do that and you'll get what you get. But I found in God a better, a more compelling way to live. And I have found that the secret is no secret. It's Jesus. Jesus is the way. So you and I could do that. Now, we saw that in those first six chapters. And in chapter seven, it got, it got weird because we're getting these visions that are colorful and hard to describe. Well, chapter 10, which we're going to read, chapters 10 through, through 12, the end, is one long vision. And I want to take it piece by piece, and I want to see the setup to the vision, and we'll look at the vision over the next two 
weeks. So let's just start in verse 1 of Daniel 10. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a revelation, an apocalypse, this vision, was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar, and its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, I mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. And so this is a bit of the setup. In the third year of Cyrus the king of Persia. So we get an exact point in time when God speaks to Daniel again. Let's just give us a little review. Some of this, this is brand new to you, right? In the third year of Cyrus, verse 1 says, what's going on? Cyrus conquered Babylon in 539 BC. It actually happened in history. And so he leaves Darius the Mede in charge. And here we are three years later, 536 BC, two years after Daniel spoke in the last chapter, chapter 9, that Steve touched on last week. So God's revealing in a new government, in a new land, in a, in a new situation, God continues to speak to his servant, Daniel. This is important to know. As things change, God is always communicating with his people. You don't have to worry. Governments come and go. Political leaders come and go. World systems come and go. God is faithful to speak to his people and give them what they need. What This revelation that he gets right here is about the time that he's going to go into the den of lions. So that's where it's happening in history. Now, what do we know so far? Daniel is in the middle of a three or the tail end of a three-week fast. So the whole ointment thing sounds weird, but it is this sign. He's not taking any choice foods, no wine. He's living out in a dry and arid land. So you'd, you'd moisturize, be refreshed. He's saying no to these things. I am giving my full attention to God. Why? If you read all of the Bible, you see these bits. If you read Ezra, who's a priest who goes back, you realize God used Cyrus, the Persian, to open the door for God's people to return back to the land. God had sent them away for 70 years because of their rebellion, but God uses Cyrus, who doesn't follow him, to say, you know what, I'm going to let you guys go back. So a group goes back, and Daniel, for whatever reason, doesn't go back. It's because it's his job, I think. He's a, he's a key leader, and so Cyrus maybe doesn't let him go. But the people go back, which is exciting. It's everything Daniel had ever dreamed of, except the dream went sour. If you read Ezra 1, 2, 3, and 4, you realize when the people go back, things don't go according to plan. They start to rebuild the temple, the place of God's worship. They begin to restore things, but they get opposition from everyone around them. So the building stops. I want you to, I want you to see the picture where Daniel gets this vision. He has probably heard that his people, God's people, have gone back, but it hasn't gone according to plan. And what do you see Daniel doing again? He's in an intentional season of fasting and, and prayer. He's in his 80s. He's, he's seen this dream that he had beginning to unfold, but when it doesn't go according to plan, what does he do? He fasts and he prays, which, this is a side note, it doesn't get to the vision yet, but it's so helpful. Do you know, Daniel can't be there, but he can be there by praying for his friends. And I think that if there's ever a time to hear this word again, it's, you know, you may not be able to change everything. You may hear stuff that's going on all over our country with shootings and all sorts of madness, and you can't change everything. 
in terms of your career, your job, your authority. You may feel powerless, but you're not powerless. You can pray. You say, well, it's not going to make any difference. Well, you can tell that to Daniel. You can fast. You can pray. You can call on God. And so Daniel sees the situation, and he calls on him. So let me just ask you, are you asking? Are you seeking? Are you knocking? Here's the beautiful thing. Daniel's mature enough in his faith that he's not just asking for himself. He's not just looking for his own needs. I think so much of my asking is about me and what I'm going to get. Like, I'm very absorbed in my world, and so I'll ask. And that's a good thing. Jesus wants us to, he says, ask, seek, and knock, and the door's going to be open. And so ask about anything. And if it's personal to you, it's personal to him. So ask, ask, ask. But there does come a point when you can grow up in your maturity in Jesus, and you can begin to flip it and say, I'm not just going to have intentional seasons for me, but for my brothers and sisters. I'm going to go all in because the church is suffering in this state. I'm going to go all in because the church is being persecuted around the world. I'm going to go all in because of, and whatever the thing is, whatever the issue is. You can go all in, and God will step in. And those who seek will find. So that was a side note. That was like a separate message. I gave you like the cliff notes. All right, let's get back to the the point, all right? Uh, Verse 4, let's keep reading. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, and I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. And his body was like topaz. His face was like lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice was like the sound of the multitude. Okay, if you're new to the Bible, this is apocalyptic. This is visionary language. This is vivid. The person or the being that Daniel encounters can't be described. So all this burnished and lightning and all of that, it's like this indescribable being appears. Verse 7, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me didn't see it, but such terror overwhelmed me that they fled, overwhelmed them, that they fled, they, they hid themselves. So he has an appearing, they kind of sense something's going on, they're just freaked out. I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. So Daniel's with a group, but now he's alone, and he's encountering, what is this? Is it God? Is it God's messenger? Whatever it is, it knocks him out. Now what happens? Uh, Verse 10, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up. I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. I think he's referring to this like three weeks of fasting and prayer. Your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. We could pause and spend years on this. Daniel doesn't sense anything as he's fasting and praying. He's just committed to God. And what Daniel gets in a very profound and mysterious, and frankly, I don't want this kind of vision because if it freaked him out, I know I'll be all over the place. Maybe you want these kind of visions. Good on you. 
Um, I don't want them. I'll just read. This vision, though, shows something. It gives him a window. And the reason it's written is to give us a window. When I commit myself to God, God is already responding in ways I cannot see. Because he says, in response to what's going on, like, I've come in response to them, verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Okay, now that's weird. We'll get back to that. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. We're going to look at this because it's interesting. This is set in real history. Daniel's fasting and praying, I think personally, about what's happening far off. God, you promised to get the people back, but the building stopped. The resistance is there. What's going on? And I think in response, Daniel gets from God, hey, I'm going I'm to give you a window, a sliver. You're not going to get it all. But I want you to know, Daniel, I'm working in ways that are profound. But here's what we see here, and here's where it's going to hit 2019 for real. Write this down. Spiritual beings are real. Maybe most of us already agree with this, but this may be an affront to some in the way that you've been taught, the way you think, the way you see the world. I think uh, the younger you are, the less shocking this is. I think there's a sense in the world, and I think younger people kind of get it more naturally, but if you're a little bit older and you were trained in rationalism and empirical thought, and if you can't see it and test tube it, it doesn't exist, which is, is more generational, I think, trending towards an older generation, this may be a hard one to swallow. But spiritual beings are real because Daniel's confronted with a real being that's not human. And that's why we get this dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist, body like topaz. All that is simply visual markers to describe something that is not just flesh and blood like us. So was this, that, that being, was that God? Was it one of God's messengers and angels? S- certain people think it was God, certain people don't. Uh, I think it's not the main point. I think the main point here is that spiritual beings are real and there's not just one kind. Because then he, he goes on and he says, well, look, I was dispatched to get this message to you, but I was stopped by the prince of the Persian kingdom. And that's, that's not a human prince, but something was happening. It says, 21 days, I was kept. And so what did we learn? Write this down. Angels and demons are in real conflict. I'm throwing in a New Testament term into Daniel. It doesn't say demons in Daniel, but these real spiritual beings that are in opposition to God are revealed to us in the New Testament by Jesus and the authors after Jesus as demons. And so angels and demons, what do we get from Daniel 10? They can influence the real affairs of this world. So again, this is probably like for many of you, let's say, yeah, I get it, move on. But I think we need to just camp here for a minute that there are real spiritual beings. These are not ghosts. And the problem with media and the problem with movies and the problem with comics is it, it, it makes a caricature of them until you realize this stuff is real. Now, those characters are funny and goofy, but I think they speak to realities that I think for many of us, we're not even, it's not even on our radar 
when you wake up in the morning and you see evil, like all over your feeds. I don't know how many feeds you have, but I don't care whether it's social media or news or whatever. I actually don't care which one it is. All of your feeds will reflect evil every day. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it could be the evil that the Timbers losing last night. It could be the evil. I was there, but I, I, I don't have skin in the game. I don't care. Um, but it, whatever evil, but real evil, uh, I mean, let, let's just, let, and, and don't shoot me later, metaphorically, but let's talk about shootings. They're just happening like, it's not onesies, twosies, threesies here. A prolific amount of people ending their own lives and before that ending others' lives with absolute, not that there's even ever a reason for it anyway, but we're talking about useless, shameless, idiotic stuff. Now it's happening all over the place. And so you could come to a couple of conclusions. You could just say this is, um, this is psychological. You could say this is just, it's just the person. You could say it's the culture. You could say it's whatever. But if you don't include in the mix spiritual powers, you're not, you don't have the whole recipe. I'll just put it like that. There is real evil, embodied evil, demonic evil going on in the unseen world. And so here's what we're getting. Now, you're going to have barbecue, so chill, because you're getting a little, little tense right now. You're going to have barbecue. It's, 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 that's guaranteed. But before that, let's remember, when things are happening, they're seen and unseen. And, and, and that's, that, now what do we know about the battles? Let's just, let's just keep reading. Let's, let's see if we get any window. Verse 15. While uh, he was saying this to me, I bowed my face towards the ground. And I was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and I began to speak. And I said to the one standing before me, I'm overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me, gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. He said, peace, be strong now. Be strong. And I think, you know, like, pause, we'll continue to read, but these are just helpful words. When I say stuff like, there are real spiritual beings, demons, powers, evil, at work in our world, that it's in opposition to God, who is all-powerful, but is being opposed. That may sound like, man, I, I don't know who, I'm like, what do I do? Then, I love it, he gets the word, because he's shaking in his boots. Calm down. Peace, be strong. The battles are real, but this is not reason for us to cower in fear. So uh, verse 19, so when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. And then chapter 11, chapter 12 are going to actually lay out the vision. We'll get to that in the next few weeks. Some of it is ancient and old and we need to think about it. Some of us speaks to our world today. Here's what I want us to get is that in the middle of what is confusing to Daniel, hear me, he's confused by what he sees and God in his grace gives him a window 
And all we're peeking through is a window into part of the unseen. So if you just read this, you don't get everything about what's happening in the unseen. This is the partly the hard part of reading this and Revelation. You get these pictures, these windows, but we don't get it all. And here's what Daniel needs to know. There are real powers. Angels, angels and demons are in a real battle in our real world and they have influence over the affairs of the world. So there are certain things that are happening that is not just someone who, who is mean and has power, does bad stuff. That alone deserves God's judgment and God will judge. And we need to think about that. But there are things that are out of our control that are going on right now in the unseen. So there are things that look okay on the surface and this is an interesting thing, going back to the whole Cyrus thing. The Persian kingdom, if I'm Daniel, is nicer than Babylon. Why? Babylonians took the people and brought Daniel to Babylon. But Cyrus, the Persian, lets them go back, gives them some cash, lets them rebuild. It seems like the Persians are much nicer people. Pause, Daniel. You need to know the prince of Persia, the influence behind Persia is just as evil because it was trying to stop me from getting this message to you. In other words, there are kingdoms on this earth that look okay and look like they're doing good, but you know what? They, at their core, can be influenced by evil. All that says to you and me is, what do I do in the middle of this? We do like Daniel. When we hear and we see and something's not right, we stop and we fast and we pray. It's interesting. In this text, Daniel doesn't actually fight anybody, does he? He doesn't fight anybody. The battle's going on. He, he doesn't see it. The battle's going on between God's messengers, angels, and the Satan's messengers, demons. And in that all Daniel gets is a window. There's more going on. It's not just Cyrus. It's not just Persia. There are battles going on. So let me just ask the question you're thinking. Are the evil powers ruling over territories like right now? I would say yes. The Bible does affirm demonic activity and the relationship between demons and specific geographic locations. Now, do I have a map of that? No. Do I know how that works? Absolutely not. But I think we get enough record in the Bible, and especially saying, you're getting this from Daniel, I'm getting this from Daniel, I'm getting this from Jesus. Where we'll look in just a couple of moments, Jesus is confronted by demonic powers all the time. And by the way, when Jesus is confronting demonic powers, Israel, God's people, are under the control of Rome, which is just about as evil as it can get. And so Jesus is actually battling these demonic powers. In this case, Daniel is just getting a glimpse of the battle. So he reveals to Daniel, there's stuff going on you don't see. At the same time, here's what I have to say. The Bible doesn't tell us whether we should or how to engage in these high-ranking spirits. It doesn't tell us the strategy. Now, some people have tried to grab a little bit of info and, and, and project on that. This is what we should do. Here's what we know. It's real. Here's what we know. God is waging the battle. And that's what you need to get. 
God is sending messengers and God sends Michael, who shows up again in Daniel 12, who shows up in, uh, in Jude, who shows up in Revelation. The same Michael shows up multiple times. God is dispatching his messengers and God is no wimp, okay? God's not struggling right now with the battle, but he's waging the battle for us. I think a helpful quote that gives balance to all this, uh, write it down or take a photo if it's helpful. It's from Tremper Longman who writes a great commentary on Daniel. It says, the Bible as a whole calls us to the life of a warrior in a world of conflict. But God doesn't send us out to fight on our own, even to pool our resources with other Christians. No, he sent his son to first win the battle. He defeated evil by dying on the cross. That's Daniel in view of the whole Bible, which if you just read Daniel, you're only getting part of the story. That's why we read all the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and we see how God is speaking all throughout it. And so there is a war, there is a battle, you're engaged in it, and you may be hit by it, but what we see is that the, the, the metaphor is not that you and I are called to, all right, rally. Who, you know, anyone got a spiritual sword? Anyone got a spiritual shield? Come on, come on, what do we got? Let's fight. It's like, no, God won the decisive battle in Jesus who defeated evil itself. So Jesus is the one who's victorious over all the powers. Like I said, I'll get to that vision next week. I just want to camp on this because this has everything to do with being wide awake to the world that we live in. If you love and follow Jesus, you have engaged in the battle. You've chosen to give your allegiance not to the kingdom of this world, but to the king who controls this world and who owns this world, but there are rebellious forces working against him. So if you align yourself with Jesus, you just need to know there are very real enemies, unseen enemies, spiritual powers that don't like you, to put it mildly. And they don't like the Jesus that you love and serve. And so we shouldn't be surprised when stuff happens. It's why Paul reminds the church. Look at Colossians 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. Having canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken away, nailing it to the cross. Um, so, so Paul reminds this group of Jesus followers, oh, we, were, we were all dead. Very real death. I mean, humanly alive. But in our relationship to God, we had no lifeline. We were cut off, not because God's mad at us, because we walked away. And so as dead men and women, very much physically alive, but in terms of relationship to God, having his holiness, living in his ways, we were not connected. God canceled our debts. How? By the nailing of Jesus to the cross, his act made us alive. Why? Because he defeated sin. The, The wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. And it's in Jesus Christ. So here's why I did this first. I'm going to get to the next line, which is the powers part. What Jesus did in his coming was to set you and I free so that being once dead, having heard the good news that God saves sinners. How? By paying it himself. The debt was stacked so high you and I could never pay. God in Jesus makes it possible for you and me 
to come alive to God and our debt to be wiped out. This is good news. This is, this is what we rejoice as we celebrate. And by, by the way, friend, if this has not been good news to you yet, today it could be good news. How does it become good news to you? By you hearing that God loves you and he sees every bit of you and he's not ashamed to stare. He sees the junk. He sees all the sin. And he says, okay, I've, I've taken care of that. I've paid it. Now I want to pay it for you. So the only way someone comes alive to God is when they say, God, here's my debt, and will you remove it? Will you set me free? And God in Christ does that. It's why we're doing baptisms today. Baptisms are this external, outward, for us sign, the reminder, down in the water as Jesus died, so my old life is now hidden with Christ. Sin is gone. Jesus rose again. Now I come out. I am washed. I am clean. And I want everyone in the room. Baptism's for us. I want everyone in the room to know, I didn't do this. I, I, I didn't do it myself. God did it for me. Down and up. And that's what Jesus came to do. But that's not all he came to do. I want to keep reading verse 15. We read it and sometimes we don't think about it. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus stripped or disarmed. This has everything to do with Daniel. Jesus is completing a picture that we see in Daniel. Jesus is completing these powers, the prince of the power of Persia, and these things we don't understand are happening. These things that are opposing the creator God. And Jesus stripped them of their power in his death. So now, we're not living in the land in the time of Daniel, where there's a battle raging, and what's going to happen next. We're living in light of Jesus, who on the cross, in real time, defeated the powers. He crushed them. Their authority to wreak havoc has been destroyed. Now, you say, well, it's, is it still going on? Absolutely yes. And this is the mystery. Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them. The picture here is in Rome, which in Colossians, they would understand Roman uh, ideology. If a Roman general won a battle, you'd come and you would have a parade. And the, the, the general would be paraded at the front and with all the soldiers, and you would walk around, and everyone would applaud the great general who's, who's showing that he defeated whatever country that they never saw. But he came back, and the way he proved it, that he's the victor, is they took all of the enemy, and they were paraded at the end in their shackles. They were very much alive, but in their shackles. The general's up front, but those powers are there, and now those those defeated ones are there and present, but they don't have authority in the same way that they used to. They're alive, but they're not ruling. And now the general is proving that now they're under Roman rule. They're alive, they're there, but they're not in charge. And I think that picture helps us to see what's going on right now. Jesus already won the battle, but those powers are very much alive. They're trying to wreak havoc but they don't have authority. It's why we see in Revelation, which we'll get to as a church, 
that one day, once for all, he's going to remove evil itself. And all those powers are going to be stripped of everything and removed from the presence of the universe. I don't know how God does that, but he does that. So we're living in this weird time. On the cross, they were defeated. They have no authority. Jesus won. But they're still alive and they're bouncing around and they're still doing terrible things, waiting for the time at the end when God will fully bring judgment on evil and Satan and demons and it will all come to a head. But until then, they are still trying to exercise their power in the world today. Now, for those who aren't following Jesus, they're easy prey because they don't have the power of Christ living in them, right? And so demons are having huge havoc on those who aren't following Christ. Look at Mark 1, verse 39. So he, Jesus, this summarizes, Mark summarizes in a statement the mission of Jesus. So he, Jesus, traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons, period. What was Jesus about? Telling cute stories, you know, you know, rubbing the head of nice little kids. Bring the kids to me, I'll give them candy. No, Jesus came speaking the words of truth in the synagogues and driving out demons. It's not something Daniel could do. But Jesus is God made flesh, which is really cool. So that means demonic influence is real. It's real in the time of Jesus and he is dealing with it. What does he do? He drives it out. Go. And it has to go. Now here's where it gets weird. Mark 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he pointed 12, that they may be with him. They might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Oh, that's, this is so cool. Yeah, you're not convinced. And that's all I want to do this morning is shake it up. I just wanted to shake your thinking a little bit. And some of you think, that, you know, in following Jesus, he's authorized me to share good news. And I say, absolutely, yes. What did he send his disciples to do? To proclaim the good news that anyone who's far from God can be made close to God. But part of Jesus is doing that, is telling his disciples that the authority to exercise the kingdom of God has now been given to you, us. So I don't have to, like Daniel's day, Daniel fell to the ground, scared to death because of this evil. And now in Christ, I want to suggest to you that if you encounter demonic or unseen evil forces, it is freaky at first. You're human. But you have nothing to be afraid of because you've been given the authority of God. Not that it's like, hey, man, I got a God card. I could do whatever I want. Don't, don't think of yourself that highly. Don't do that. It happens in Acts. There's a group that says, hey, man, let's just cast out, let's just, let's just cast out these demons. Hey, get out. And those demons beat the snot out of them. We know, we know Paul. We don't know who in the world you are. They, they were going out in the name of Jesus without the true, genuine authority of Jesus. But I tell you, all throughout the Bible and all throughout history, men and women like you and me have come into the light to see that God in Christ wants to use us to preach good news and go with authority and do exactly what Jesus did. Demon, you must go. We have authority. And so 
Um, how do we live that out? That's for another time, another day. I just want, I want to leave you with that. That's it. I want you to sit in that and know that the invitation's twofold. The invitation today is to follow Jesus. That's the invitation. Jesus came about sharing the good news, proclaiming liberty to the captive. And today, he's inviting you. So if you've not yet chosen to follow Jesus, do it now. And the invitation is to serve and pray with Jesus' authority. Over the next couple weeks, you're like, you're really going to stop there? Yeah. But I want to give more time to think and tease out what does it mean for us to be men and women who are filled with the very Holy Spirit of God, who go out not foolishly, but with authority and power and say to evil, be gone in Jesus' name. Not just in general, but in people's lives. That we're, we're a people who've been authorized by Jesus to speak into those situations and say, because Jesus is the King, you must go so that this person could be set free. Um, all right, so we're gonna worship and respond. Here's what we're gonna do. And I'm not kidding here. If you really sense, you know, Jose, like you struck a chord, because I think there's stuff going on in my life, my family's life, we can't even explain it. We just need prayer. Um, I would encourage you, when everyone gets up and we sing, just go out to your right, and there is a prayer room. It's right next door to here, and some friends, some men and women are gonna be there who just love Jesus and are very normal, and they wanna pray. Whether, that's, whether you think that's demonic influence or not, irrelevant. If you realize the kingdom of God is real, and Jesus' power is real, and you want prayer, the greatest thing you can do is like Daniel, is go and pray. So I would encourage you to do that. Um, this morning, if you're not yet following Jesus, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Right now, confess to him, I need you. Here I am, I. here I am, a sinner, save me. Here I am, I used to follow you, but now I've done my own thing, I'm coming back, whatever the case may be. And then, if you've not yet been baptized in water, since following Jesus, I want you to, during worship, when we go to the tables, I want you to go to that baptismal and talk with one of our leaders and simply say, you know what, I, today I need to confess. I am a follower of Jesus. I need his life in my life right now. And we would love to pray with you. And if it's, if it's right, we want to baptize you this morning. Let's not play around. This is all real. Let's stand on our feet and let's, uh, let's worship the King. Jesus, we love you. And we believe that you have already crushed the head of the enemy. And now you're going to, through your people, the church, see the kingdom of darkness be pushed back and the kingdom of light come here on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, we ask you with humility, but with authority, use us in greater ways, Lord. We want to see people really set free, not just in mind, but in soul and in body, holistically, all of life following you with evil pushed out and the kingdom of light come into their soul here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we ask that you would even do that now if there's those under the bondage of the enemy. We pray, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus.